Uh, we're going to pick it up in chapter 19 where judgment comes upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, we're going to be dealing with uh, homosexuality, and I think it's good sometimes for us to take God's word and to take it seriously. Uh, this last week, uh, my oldest was home, and he was doing school online, and I was very blessed because I got to overhear the classes that he was having. In one of the classes, the entire time, they talked on the issue of abortion from a biblical view, of course. Um, but in that, they took the whole class and really unpacked where we're at, what we're doing, how culture looks uh, at abortion. And I so appreciated just a conversation that's hard to have, but is very much needed. And that's one thing I love about the scriptures, because it doesn't shy away uh, from things that are important, that should be discussed and considered. And this morning, uh, we're going to be dealing with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Homosexuality is where we're going to start. We're going to get through four chapters. The fourth chapter is 22, and it's one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, so I'm excited that we get to wrap up with that this morning. Uh, but I find it kind of uh, <laughs> interesting. Over the years, uh, the first time my children, they always ask, hey, can I be upstairs today? And the first time Uriah and the first time Finn did that, I, I remember and recall we were in some hard passages of scripture. Well, guess what my youngest, Shalom, eight years old today asked? Dad, can I hang out upstairs first time ever? And I'm like, all right, baby, <laughs> that's how the Churchill's roll. Let's tackle some big things for your first study upstairs with the adults. Uh, so we're excited to have you up here, Shalom. Fun, fun. Um, Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, again for opportunity to gather, opportunity to open your word. And as we open it, we desire our, our hearts to be open and our minds to be open to you. Lord, you've given us brains to think. We want to reason with you this morning. We want to do it rightly. Um, so Holy Spirit, please speak to each and every one of us. We ask in your name. Amen. So the city of Sodom had a myriad of evil. If you guys want to know the list of her sins, you can visit Ezekiel chapter 16 because it lays out many of them there for you. But among them, the total capitalization of it all comes down to homosexuality. And for Christians, guys, Jesus commands us as his followers to speak the truth about sin, about homosexuality. And to do it in love. That's what we're told to do. So some choose to disobey the Lord, speaking truth, while wielding a club full of spikes. I see that today in the church. Truths are being spoken, but I don't see them doing it in a Christ-like manner. So we need to always partner truth with love. Amen? Amen. Real quick, I want to share with you before we jump into Genesis, uh, a couple scriptures from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, uh, verses 51 to 56, if you want to look at the context. But I just want to look at a, a couple there, because Jesus, we're told, was rejected. Okay, We don't like what you're saying, Jesus. We don't want you. It says that he was rejected by the Sumerians. And then James and John, who were disciples, those who were walking with Jesus, ministering with him said lord do you want us to command fire to come down and consume these people call it from heaven and consume them like elijah did 
And I love what Jesus said because Jesus said this, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Do you guys know that Jesus is in the business of saving sinners? That's what he's come for. And that's the hope that we get to share with people, with all people. And I can tell you guys, I really love gay people. I have friends who are homosexual. And you know what compels me to share the hope I have in my Savior Jesus with them? It's the love that God has for me. It's the reality he forgives people. It's the reality he makes people new. You can be born again. And we get to share with others. And it's love that compels me to share the truth. You guys get that? It's our love is the reason we share. And if we're loving rightly, guys, we're going to do it in a way that won't unnecessarily offend anyone. Because we can talk about sins, the effects of sins, immorality, homosexuality, you know, how unproductive that type of lifestyle really is. We have the numbers, we have the facts, but does it get to the heart of the matter? The heart of the matter is we all need a savior. But I was born this way. Well, great. Jesus can save you. That's why I said you must be born again, and we get to share the hope of the gospel. So when we consider Sodom, guys, every day was Gay Pride Day. That's where this group of people got to. And we know that the city didn't just tolerate the sin, but they legitimized sexual immorality. And if you guys want a little more biblical context, because it doesn't matter what we think or what the world is saying about sin or even our own you know, government leaders in our nation. Do you guys know that we're flying a... a a gay pride flag now in the capital in Madison, okay? Um, that's, that's the point we're at. Um, but what does God say about these things? Because ultimately that's what matters. And if you guys want more clarity, we've been going through the book of Romans also as we've been studying alongside Genesis. In chapter 1 of Romans, verse 18, all the way to the end of the chapter, really lays out why the sin of homosexuality is wrong in the effects that it has upon uh, us and those who don't accept the truth of homosexuality being sin, that we actually want to suppress the truth of it. Our minds become debased. And as a result, uh, we've seen it throughout history. It's not just Sodom, guys. They come to an end of them themselves. And we see every people groups, homosexuality is one of those things uh, that kind of uh, characterizes a people group for their fall. And here we see Sodom. Do you guys know that sodomy comes from the word Sodom? Okay. So because of their perversion there in the city of Sodom, uh, it was ripe for God's judgment. Um, and before we dive in, I just want to, in love, uh, want to consider a few schemes of the enemy with you guys. You guys know that Satan is alive. And you know that he, um, he's the father of lies, we're told, <laughs> in the scriptures. Um, I, I feel that here in America, that our government schools are probably the most effective tool that Satan has today. 
okay? And reason with me for a second. You don't have to agree with me, but the father of lies uses our government schools to indoctrinate our children. And we're seeing this play out and the consequences of it firsthand. They indoctrinate immoral ideologies. We have progressionism, Marxism, feminism, Darwin, evolutionism. There is no God, okay? Uh, the radical LGBTQ agenda is being shared in our schools. And it is a radical agenda, okay? You think about uh, Hollywood. They just continue to pump out that agenda, okay? I enjoy watching good shows with my family, but it is hard to find one show today that doesn't have a homosexual agenda in it, just one. That's the reality of our culture today. Wasn't the case when I was growing up. Things are changing quickly. And it's sad because we know kids are watching a lot, almost five hours a day on average. And if they're taking in five hours of television, okay, what are they being fed? And then another seven hours at public school during the day, you know, that's a lot of influence upon children. Uh, we also, guys, have our government affirming and legalizing sin. Okay, I mentioned the flag. We're flying it. We're proud of our sin. God calls it evil and sinful, and we're saying, hey, it's good and it's right. Everyone should accept it. Everyone should be tolerant of it. And you Christians, how dare you say it's wrong? Um, laws in some states, guys, are requiring all public schools to teach the accomplishments of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender uh, individuals. Uh, and it's not limited just to a history class. The curriculums that they're putting out today in public schools, it covers social studies, language, literature, health, performing arts. They even tie it into math. How do you get that agenda in a math, but it, it's there. I'm not making this up, okay? In our science classes, it's in everything. And back in uh, 2011, so 10 years ago, California actually became the first state requiring public schools to teach LGBT accomplishments. And we kind of know the trend, what starts in California just kind of comes over, you know, and what's going on today in the schools I know my generation wouldn't have put it up with it. There's no way it would have even been thought of. Things are changing quickly. So what we see here today when it comes to Sodom and God's judgment here, okay, if you guys recall last time, Abraham, God shows up with two angels, right? Promise, uh, the promise was made that, hey, if there are any righteous <laughs> there in Sodom, judgment will not come. Even if there's just 10 citizens are found. But sadly, guys, the search proved futile. So Sodom was wicked beyond repair. And we read about the punishment here in Genesis 19. So let's pick it up. Now, verse 1. Now, two angels came to Sodom in evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. So when Lot left Abraham, Uncle Abe gave him an option. Okay, back in chapter 13, verse 12, he says, it says that he could choose what direction he went, and he pitched his tent as far as Sodom. So Lot moved towards the glitz and the glamour of this big city. Apparently, the pleasure, the convenience, entertainment, the commerce, variety, all the things a big city can offer, the activity of the world there 
was an attraction to Lot and his family. So we see Lot starts out pitching his tent as far as Sodom, but when we see him again in chapter 14, verse 12, we're told there that Lot dwelt in Sodom. So the lure of the city had sucked him in, and now we see him sitting in the gate of Sodom, which doesn't just refer to a a site there, but actually Lot's status. Lot had risen in prominence there in Sodom. He's now a city official. I want us to also note the progression. It starts by looking towards Sodom, ends up living in Sodom, and finally he's a leader in Sodom. So he sees, settles, and then supports. And this is how the world sucks us in, guys. That's how it ha- it's a slow fade, but it's a progression. So our eyes lead us astray. And we even see it within the church today. Look at how progressive the church has gotten. Within the church of Jesus Christ today, we are labeling sin as being okay. How do we get that far? The influence of the world. So our eyes can lead us astray. If we set our sights on pleasures and the prestige of the world, then we're going to settle into a lifestyle in obtaining what we see, what is always set before us. That's why media plays such a huge part. What are we taking in? Um, And finally, we turn our attention to supporting and then justifying lifestyle, even when it turns out not to be what it's all cracked up to be. So let's, you know, lot here was drawn slowly but surely. So guys, the path of Sodom is a gradual slope, okay? And it has no sudden turns. And Lot compromised here, there, a little more over here. You guys know, just a little compromise. If we keep doing just a little here, eventually it's going to start heaping up. We're going to have a pile, a big pile of compromise. I think that's what Lot did. Um, <laughs> we need to beware. You guys can jot down 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8. It says of Lot, that righteous man, speaking of Lot, that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So very little in Genesis indicates that Lot was a righteous man, but Peter says he was. Yet take a righteous man and put him in wicked surroundings. It's going to take a toil. The evils of Sodom tormented Lot and eventually toppled his family. So again, verse 1. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face towards the ground, and he said, Hear now, my lords, please turn to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet, and you will rise, or then you'll rise early and you will go your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. The reason he insisted strongly was the knowledge of the city. He knew what was going on. Each night, these Sodom homosexual predators would roam the streets, raping and robbing strangers. So Lot couldn't bear the thought of two messengers from God being the brunt of such treatment. So he insisted strongly, and what does it say? They turned into him and entered his house, and then he made a feast, baked unleavened bread, and they ate. 
Now verse 4. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So in other words, we want to rate them. Send them out to us. So this gang of homosexual rapists banged on Lot's door. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. So these men, perverts, they want to rape and brutalize these innocent visitors. But notice what Lot calls them in verse 7. This got me. Please, my brethren. Did you guys catch that? Make this world your family, and you're going to have some unsavory brothers. That's just the reality. So this shows the totality of Lot's compromise. Imagine the moral morals and the truth that Lot had to ignore. Think about the convictions that he overlooked to reach the point where he would call these perverts brothers. And then he suggests, see now, I have two daughters. This just gets messed up, guys. I have two daughters who have not known men. They're virgins. Please, let me bring them out to you that you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. So what in the world is this man thinking? This is messed up, okay? Hey, I got two virgin daughters. Rape them instead, you barbaric homosexual beasts like Lot's association here and compromise with evils of Sodom has stripped him of any courage that he maybe had at one time. His loyalties are confused and there's no excuse for this. He goes on to say, stand back. And then they said, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man lot and came near to break down the door. But the two men, so these two angels, reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. So notice, guys, the blindness itself isn't enough to deter their lust and their aggression here. You'd think once struck with blindness, you know, these men would stop and they would, would listen to God. Instead, they just keep groping around in the dark. And I don't know about you guys, but that's how I feel in our society today. You know, people are in the dark. They are blind, okay? We can shine the light of Christ, share truth with them, you know, and they don't want to see it. They don't want to come to the truth. And they're just going to continue to do their wickedness in their blindness. They could care less. So in verse 12, we're told, Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because of the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord 
has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws who had married his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. But his son-in-laws, catch this, his son-in-law, he seemed to be joking. Guys, this is a very tragic reaction. You guys see what's happening here? Okay, apparently Lot, in Lot's time in Sodom, he has lost all credibility. He had spent so much time fitting in that no one could actually imagine him standing up. And guys, here's a very important question for me and you. If we suddenly took a stand for God, for truth, for righteousness, would our friends just think we're joking? Ah, oh, stop goofing around. Stop joking with us. That's what happened a lot. Look at verse 15. And when the morning dawned, the angel urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife, your two daughters, who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while they lingered, imagine, Lot lingered. Instead of running, the city's about to be incarcerated, okay? Or sorry, incinerated. Would you run? Yeah, I'm out of here. As quick as, but that proves, guys, how powerful the grip of the world can be upon someone, okay? Even in the face of judgment, they're about to be judged. I feel like we know judgment's coming. I think people know that. But I love God's grace. We see it in action here. Look what happens. The men took hold of Lot's hand, his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters and the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So God literally pulled him out. Have you ever experienced God do that for you? Where his spirit just arrested you and like, hey, you need to leave. You need to get going. You need to get out of here now. Okay. So to sin, we've really got to ignore and grieve the spirit to continue to linger. Verse 17 says, So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords, indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown to me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest evil overtake me and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please, let me escape there. It is not a little one. My soul shall live. So Lot, Lot's time here in Sodom cultivated a fear, okay? Fear rather than faith. Now he's invited to meet God, <laughs> you know, in the mountains, but Lot prefers the clamor of a city, just smaller now. Um, and he said to him here, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city is called Zoar, or literally small. That's what the city is called. So judgment can't come until God's people are safe. And that's why it will be at the end of the age, guys, the great tribulation upon earth, 
before judgment can come down, the church is going to go up. Okay? So when the fires of judgment ravage the earth, God's people, they're going to be safe and they're going to be secure with him in heaven. Verse 23, the sun had risen up on the earth when God, or Lot entered Zoar. So Lot here uh, left Sodom at dawn. But since he lingered, the sun is now high in the sky. And then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So Sodom and their neighboring city of Gomorrah were located in the Valley of Siddam, uh, southern part shores of the Dead Sea. We're told in chapter 14, verse 10, it's the Valley of Siddam was full of asphalt pits. I think that's interesting, okay? Hail and brimstone, right? Um, Billy Graham has said this, and a lot of you guys are familiar with the quote, and I didn't agree with him for a long time, but just chewing on this reality uh, of all the, the, the cry that went up before the Lord, you know, against the sin of Sodom. Billy said, if God does not judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, and I used to argue with that a little bit. Like, really? You know, we got churches in every city, you know. It's like, look at him in this little city, how many churches there are. We're a Christian nation. Yeah, there's sin here, but we're not that bad. There aren't, you know, homosexual rapists going around the streets looking for people at night. You know, and just chewing on that, guys, you know, I think we're as guilty, if not more, because we are a Christian nation. We have his word. The gospel is present, and yet we are sexually as moral as Sodom, if not more. I think about the movies that come out. I love Star Wars, the amount of money you know, those movies make or Marvel movies make or you gals, your sappy girl movies. The, the movie industry makes a ton of, entertainment makes a ton of money. Do you guys know that? And do you guys know within that entertainment, um, pornography is the biggest money maker? Somebody's paying for it, guys. We are a sexual immoral. We might hide it well but we are a sexual, immoral people. We see it even within the church. How many, many great, you know, men of God have fallen to sexual immorality. The church has been stained of it. It's not just once in a great while. It seems to be several, you know, every year, big name people, you know, and then there's all the others. What's going on? The sins even within the church. So, we see Sodom here. <laughs> if God judged Sodom, he's going to certainly judge the United States. You guys know that's just. God is just. Okay? We're going to be judged. Um, you guys know I love the scriptures. You guys love the word of God. You guys know the Bible actually speaks prophetically about this time that we're living right now more than any other time in history. Even more than when Jesus was here. There's so much prophecy concerning right now. And you guys know how many prophecies, how many scriptures talk about the United States? There aren't any. And I've often wondered for years, well, what happens after the rapture? Because what is 
sustaining us? Where does any moral (laughs) reality come from within America? Well, I believe it's the church of Jesus Christ. We're called to be salt and light. We speak to the things that are evil, that are contrary to the truth. But what happens when there is no longer any voice? Man's going to do whatever they want, what they think is right in their own sight. And we're seeing that shake out right before our eyes. We're calling sin good. It's a right, really. And what happens when we're gone, guys? Judgment's going to come. So, we have God. He overthrew those cities, we're told. All the plain, all the inhabitants of the city. And what grew on the ground, okay? Um, And all that grew on the ground. But Lot's wife, check this, she looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. So she was assaulted. (laughs) Thank you for the one person who laughed. (laughs) She became a podium of sodium. A little better. All right, thanks guys. The point we need to get from Mrs. Lot, okay? I want us to get this. Uh, Sodom didn't leave Mrs. Lot, okay? Um, Her body left, but her heart didn't. That's what happened with her. She loved the pleasures, the treasures of this world more than the new life that God had promised. You guys know when we come to Christ, what are we called to do? Hey, I count all those things of the past as loss, you know? I forget those things. And now I press towards the goal of the upward call in Christ Jesus. That's how we walk. We're looking forward to him. Okay, Our destination is now eternal heaven, being with Jesus. That's where we're headed. Christian, don't look back. I look forward to getting to Exodus with you guys. You guys know that the Israelites end up being slaves in Egypt and then God radically frees them. They're set free. We want to go back and be slaves again in Egypt, the world. Why? Why? We're foolish, guys. What we have in Christ so outweighs what this world has to offer. I love the warning that Jesus gives in a story Uh, that we find in the Gospels. Luke 17, verse 30 is where I'm going to read from. But he's speaking what will be going on in the last days. And he tells us, even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed in that he who is on the housetop or his goods are in the house, let him not come down and take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not return back. Remember Lot's wife, Jesus says. Remember Lot's wife, and then he shares this, and we all know the scripture. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. We all know that scripture, but he says it in the context of, hey, remember Lot's wife. Remember her, okay? Don't look back. It's not worth it. It's not worth losing your life. It's not worth losing your soul. You know, what is it, guys, if we gain the whole world and lose our soul? And that's the mentality. It's even being taught in some churches. It's all about you and what you can get out of this life. So don't let the world get its claws in on you. 
Because when it does, you miss out on God's best. So after you come to Christ, don't look back. Verse 27 then says, Abraham, he went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. So Abraham, we know, loved to spend time with God. Do you guys know that from chapter uh, 12 to 22, we have seen over 100 conversations that Abraham has had with God. He loved talking with God, loved to fellowship, to spend time with him. But this morning, he gets up to spend time with God, and he sees smoke off in the distance. And then he looked, verse 28, toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and toward all the land of the plain, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land, which went up like the smoke of a furnace, came, or and it came to pass, and God destroyed the cities of the plain, and God remembered Abraham, and sent Lot out of the midst to over, or the midst of the overthrow, and when the he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt, then Lot went up to Zoar, and he dwelt in the mountains. And his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. So he must have thought here that God was going to judge Zoar just like he had judged Sodom. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. So apparently fear dominated their whole lives here. They were called to the mountaintops, but they ended up in a cave. And that's what fear will do. Okay, I'm just going to go hide. I'm not going to shine for Jesus. I'm just going to go hide in my house. No one needs to know I'm a Christian because the world doesn't like that. No. Go where God's calling you to. Go to those mountaintops. Shine for him. So they were called to the mountains. Now this gets messed up. I, yeah. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old and there is no man on the earth to come into us as is custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, and we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in to lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose, and it happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with father last night. Let us make him drink tonight also, and you go in and lie with him, and we may preserve the lineage of our father. And then they made their father drink and wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. So Lot carries with him this tragic distinction of becoming a father in a grandfather at the same time. Guys, incest riddled his whole family. Um, and it's ironic, you know, wine ends up causing Lot to do uh, to his daughters what he invited the homosexuals to do. Okay? Um, Lot may have managed to remain a righteous man living in Sodom, but his family didn't. His wife loved Sodom's possessions and looked back with longing gaze. And his daughters learned Sodom's perversions and ended up getting their own father drunk uh, so he would sire sons. And it proves that compromise with sin brings dire consequences. 
if not immediately, but ultimately uh, upon your family. Guys, we reap what we sow. God's not going to be mocked. Be aware of that. Sin has consequences. Uh, Verse 37 says the firstborn or the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab and his father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Emi, the father of the people of Ammon to this day. So down through the centuries, the Moabites, the Ammonites guys have caused heaps of trouble for Israel. Okay. Um, They became idolaters and they ended up being God's enemies. In chapter 20, now Abraham journeyed from there to the south, and he dwelt in Kadesh and Shur, and stayed in Gerir. And this was Philistine country, guys. Um, verse 2 says, Now Abraham said to his wife, She is my sister. Does this sound familiar? Okay. Um, 25 years earlier, he did the same thing when he was in Egypt before Pharaoh, right? Uh, that was in chapter 12. Uh, and do you remember Abraham's rationale for the lie here? Sarah was so gorgeous that this Persian king would kill him in order to take uh, her to be his wife, right? So we're amazed that, you know, this was a concern when Sarah was 65 years old, but now she's 90 years old, and apparently she's still pretty enough to be desired by this oriental king so if only sarah would have left us her secret huh sisters you know what i'm talking about well maybe she has i love first peter 3 okay the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit right and she was submissive we're told to her husband and sarah obeyed abraham so ladies spiritual beauty it is a timeless beauty Okay? It never wrinkles. A submissive spirit is coveted by all men. And it's amazing that we have Abraham here doing the same thing again. Okay, um, Same mistake. Over two decades later, in between the two mistakes, Abraham, he had grown in faith, hadn't he? Absolutely. He got closer to God. His knowledge of God had increased. But apparently Abraham had never taken the time to restructure his thinking towards his wife in those fears. Can we learn from that? We need to address our fears, guys. We need to address our sins. And we need to rethink through those things. And how do we do that? Renewing your minds, right? Don't be conformed to this world and what they would have to say, but be transformed by the renewing of your word. Uh, your minds by the word of God. What does God have to say? That is important. So important. So you agree with him. Because there's a lot the world wants to tell us, isn't there? So many voices come in. And I even see it within the church today. We have so many talking heads within the church. And many of them can't even agree on what they're talking about. You should believe this and you should fear that. There's a lot of fear mongering in the church today. I got several messages this week from Christians. Hey, you need to know this about the vaccines in the masks, our freedoms. A lot of fear-mongering going on. You need to know, 
I want to be encouraged in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Where's that message? Praying for you today, Pastor. Be encouraged today, brother. Here's a cool scripture. Keep loving Jesus. Aren't we called to encourage, to build one another up, stir each other up onto good works? Okay? We, brother and sister, are people of faith. We should not be fearing, and we should not be doling fear out to others. What do we have to fear? Well, aren't you concerned about our religious freedoms? Not really. We need persecution. I mentioned before, look at how many great men of God, representatives of the gospel, have fallen. Guys, right across the river here, we have a church that flies a gay flag as their sign. The church needs to be refined. And one thing, if you study any history, when the church is persecuted, what happens? Refining purity takes place within the church. We also see Christians get bold, standing up for what really matters. Let me tell you this, guys. The church here in the West, (laughs) we're not doing well. We've went through a lot of crazy this last year. How many of you guys would love for an opportunity for the Church of Jesus Christ to have a redo this last year? Instead of arguing and fighting among ourselves and what's going on politically in the world, that we said, hey, I ain't going to play the fear game. (laughs) I want to go and I want to share the hope that I have in my Jesus with this world that's tripping right now. I want to be a light. I don't want to be like the world and play their game right now. I want to humble myself. And I want to pray. Wouldn't it be cool if the church actually was praying? Wouldn't you think everything we've gone through this last year, that prayer groups would have started up all over amongst churches? You guys know churches are still having a hard time getting people to come and just have a prayer meeting? That's what's been going on. But God says, hey, if you humble yourself and you pray, I'll heal your land. Wouldn't it be cool to have a redo? I think it'd be pretty cool. But where do we move forward from here, guys? What do we do? I don't know about you guys, but I want to be about Jesus. I want to share the hope that we have with the world. And I'm okay if persecution comes, because what's going to happen? If they say, hey, you can't meet any longer at Freedom Fellowship, this building. You're not allowed to do that. Great. We are still going to get together and open God's word. That's what we are going to do. You know who's not going to do that? Non-Christians. The apostate church. I would love for that to happen. Why? Because it's going to strengthen the church. My heart breaks. We have missionaries coming to the United States. Do you guys know that? Well, I thought we were the nation that sent out missionaries. (laughs) No. The world's sending missionaries to America now. That's how lost we are. But we have the truth. We have the hope. We have the gospel. We get to share it, guys. So don't allow fear to dictate your thinking. Allow God's word, his word. doesn't matter what this brother and this sister and this group and those podcasts and these 
news channels and the world is telling us, what does God say? Amen? And that's where you're going to renew your thinking. But that means you're actually going to have to take time to sit down and read his word, to reason with him. God invites us to come and reason with him. It's a beautiful thing. So don't take it for granted, and especially us who are Christians who go to a good Bible-teaching church. Great. Are we taking in the word on our own on a regular basis? I hope so. hope so. So, um, another scripture to jot down, Ephesians 4.23, when it comes to thinking, it says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Okay? So we need renewing all the time. This last week, I'll be honest with you, I was tossed around coming into these chapters. I spent a lot of time studying, reading articles, considering our culture, what's going on, looking into the homosexual agenda, how progressive it is, the different influences, what our schools are doing, you know, that there were some things I really had to come before the Lord and it came back to what has God said? But, 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 but. <laughs> what has God said? You guys know we can throw out a lot of buts, right? Okay, we can have a lot of opinions. And there are things, whether I like it or not, the world has influenced me. I am live in the world, but I'm not of the world. But it does have influence upon me. Well, isn't that right? You know, even though it's sin, shouldn't that be equal there? And really struggling through, and it just comes back to, God, what do you say? Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. You guys understand that? That's all that matters. What does he say? And then what do we do with that? Do we believe, trust, submit? So renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now let's move on to King Abimelech. I like him. Abimelech, King of Greer, sent and took Sarah, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because this woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. So just as God did earlier for Abraham, he comes to his rescue here. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not Say to me, she is my sister. And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. So I didn't know, Lord. <laughs> I had no clue they were lying to me. I'm innocent here. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. So God honored his integrity. I like that. And kept Abimelech from adultery here. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours, so remember, it was Abraham who lied to Abimelech here. So if God hadn't intervened, Abraham would have, you know, uh, led all to sin in this scenario. Yet Abraham gets introduced as a prophet, and God promises here um, 
Abimelech that Abraham's going to pray for him. And then in verse six, or 8, so Abimelech rose early in the morning, called his, all his servants, and told them all these things in their hearing. And the men were very afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? So in other words, dude, what were you thinking? (laughs) That's what he's saying. And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my life. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. So Sarah was, a, was Abraham's half-sister. So this was a half-truth. But guys, a half-truth said with the intent to deceive is a whole lie. Okay? So we need to be truthful. And I want to encourage you guys, you know, God hates a lying tongue. We know this, right? We need to be truthful. It's the reason Jesus came, right? To bear witness to the truth, okay? So being honest is so needed. For you guys who are parents, I want to encourage you guys because there are a lot of battles we're going to pick as parents. We are called to train our children. We are called to discipline our children. They're going to need correction, okay? For us at the Churchill home, lying's the big no-no, okay? And there are places where God says to give grace. But I want to encourage you guys, truthfulness and honesty is so needed in our lives. Okay, First of all, we want to be able to trust one another. But when we're able to be truthful and honest about our sin, about ourselves, with those who love us, okay, that's going to play into every other area of our life every other discipline that is needed. Because if you can't address other sin issues, (laughs) truthfully, bring it to the light, nothing's going to come of it. So I encourage you guys, okay? Don't lie. And you know the consequences of lying. It just gets ugly. It leads to more lies, and it's just a mess, okay? God hates lying. Just don't lie. Um, And why do we lie? So often because of fear, right? But what do we have to fear perfect love casts out fear if we're in step with the lord (laughs) walking with him being loved by him what do we have to fear so and it came to pass we're told when god caused me to wander from my father's house that i said to her this is your kindness that you showed do or should do for me in every place wherever we go save me he is my brother. So I want you guys to notice the whole scheme and the premedit it was premeditated here. Rather than truthfulness, lying was their mode of operation. So Abraham's lie, like many lies, was generated by fear. And God, God can't protect me, he's saying. So I'll manipulate the truth to protect myself. And fear can motivate a lying tongue. Verse 14. Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, male and female servants and gave them to abraham and he restored sarah his wife to him and abimelech said see my land is before you dwell where it pleases you 
Then Sarah said, or then he said to Sarah, catch this, guys. Behold, I have given you your brother a thousand pieces of silver. <laughs> I'm sure he was being a little sarcastic in saying that to her there. But um, indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus, she was rebuked. So she lied to Abimelech, but he showed her kindness. Now, verse 17. So Abraham prayed to God. And God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. Then they bore children, and the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, chapter 21, the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Guys, God always does just as he has spoken. Can we underline that in our Bibles? He will do just as he has spoken. For Sarah convinced and bore Abraham a son in old age and set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born to him, whom Sarah had bore to him, Isaac. So 25 years here, guys, has elapsed. Long time. So it takes faith and it takes patience to endure, to inherit God's promises. Okay? Don't give up. God is faithful. Look at verse 4. Then Abraham circumcised his son when he was eight days old, and God had, as God commanded. And now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in my old age. Verse 8, so the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the same day in which Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. So the word implies more than a friendly, you know, kidding or teasing here. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 29, it says that Ishmael persecuted Isaac. So he tortured him. Therefore, Sarah said to Abraham, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely Isaac. So Sarah seems Ishmael's uh, brutal treatment of Isaac here and wants Hagar and Ishmael to be thrown out of town. Okay, just get them out of here. In verse 11, a matter was very displeasing, we're told, to Abraham in his sight because of his son. So understand at this point, guys, Ishmael's 17 years old. He is a junior in high school. Him and Pops have been, you know, throwing the ball around. Abe taught him how to fish and hunt. I don't know what they actually did, but you guys get the point. This is my boy, okay? We've been doing life together. So this is hard on Abraham, and he's not sure he wants to cooperate with Sarah, but catch what God says. God said to Abraham, do not let this be displeasing in your sight because the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Yet I also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because, of, or because he is your seed. So God assures Abraham he'll take care of Ishmael. 
Hagar's son will become a great nation uh, in his own right. Uh, But the house of Abraham is not big enough for both sons. And Ishmael here is the odd man out. Isaac is the promised son, right? In Isaac, your seed shall be called. And what was true of Abraham's household is true today in the Middle East, okay? God has multiplied the Arabs, okay? Um, But the sod, the seed, and salvation, they belong to Isaac, Now, verse 14, so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy boy to Hagar and they sent her away. And then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba and the water in and the skin was used up and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs and she went and she sat across from him a distance about a bowshot, for she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. So rejected, abandoned, and left for dead here, okay? Um, and God heard, right? God heard the voice of the lad, and then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard your voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up, and, or lift up the lad and hold him in your hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad drink. So once again, God comes to the aid of Hagar here. I love it. Um, So Ishmael, Hagar are about to die, but God shows up and helps. Um, They were kicked out of Abraham's house, but God didn't abandon them. So one thing that I love. Things might not shake out or play out the way we think or have planned or have wanted, but God's never going to leave us or forsake us. He's there for us. Um, So God loved Ishmael just as he loves the Arabs today. And it's ironic, but according to the New Testament, when Arabs embrace Jesus Christ, they become a child of Abraham. I think that's pretty cool. So one of God's chosen people, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus. So Abraham left Ishmael for dead, but Jesus died in Ishmael's place. Let's look at verse 20 here. So God was with the lad, and he grew, and he dwelt in the wilderness. He became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran. So this is uh, the peninsula of Sinai. Um, His mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. I want you guys to catch this because, again, in Galatians chapter 4, it's a very intriguing passage that's laid out there by the Apostle Paul because he gives the eviction of Ishmael and Hagar as a a figurative, uh, symbolic application for us as the church uh, he uses the story to encourage us uh, to kick out legalists who are persecuting uh, recipients of god's grace okay so i think that's cool it's also fascinating when we study the new testament how much of the old testament is referenced there's some christians who say hey, you know we're new testament believers we don't need the old testament okay no we learn so much from the old testament Okay? It gives us a fuller understanding of who God 
is and what is right and what is wrong. Um, So moving on, verse 22. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Bishkal, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring, or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have shown done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. Verse 24, and Abraham said, I will swear. And then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of the well of water which Abimelech's sermons has seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing you did not tell me nor had i heard until today so abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to abimelech and the two of them made a covenant and abraham set seven new lambs of the flock by themselves and abimelech asked abraham what is the meaning of these seven new lambs which you have set by themselves and he said you will take these seven new lambs from my hand that they may be a witness that I have dug this well. Therefore, he called that place Beersheba because of the two men who swore an oath there. So Beersheba, guys, means well of an oath. And then it goes on to tell us, thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Pishal, the commander of the army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. And then Abraham planted a tamarack tree in Beersheba, and called the name or called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days, which now brings us to chapter 22, which is one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. And I'm kind of stoked that we get to end with this this morning. Um, but it's after the birth of Isaac here. Okay, so Abraham rested in Beersheba for many days, but now his faith gets tested like never before how many of you guys are familiar with chapter 22 good handful okay for you guys who are not familiar this is rad okay um check it out verse one now it came to pass after these things that god tested abraham and said to him abraham and he said here i am and he said take now your son your only son isaac whom you love so god calls isaac Abraham's only son even though we know that's not true see God didn't even recognize uh, Ishmael as a child of Abraham let alone his heir so this means that among the nations uh, Israel has an exclusive relationship to God and want us to notice in verse 2 the word love you can circle that it's the first time that it's mentioned in the Bible Okay, and first mentions are always really important for us when it comes to scripture because often, most often, the first mention of a word and what comes around it plays into the rest of the Bible and will give us an understanding to it. So this is the first time we see love in the Bible and it speaks of a father's love for his son. Isn't that cool? So Abraham loved Isaac, but God tells Abraham to take Isaac and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So here's the ultimate test of faith. So imagine raising a knife with the intent of slitting the throat of your son. 
That is what Abraham is being asked to do. And what made the command so confusing was that Isaac was the heir of God's promise. Okay, this doesn't make sense, God. This is confusing. You said through him, all nations would be blessed, right? So God commands, um, flies really in the face of love (laughs) uh, in logic. But yet we see Abraham obey. Check out verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. Uh, And they split wood for the burnt offering in arose and they went to the place of which God had told him. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to these young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and catch what he says. And we will come back to you. Wow. Catch that phrase. We will come back to you so abraham believed that god would raise isaac from the dead okay well how do we know that hebrews chapter 11 verse 19 says uh of what abraham concluded it says that god was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in the figurative sense So notice this was not only a test for Abraham, but it was to be a picture for you and I. That's why this chapter is so cool. There's something for us to get and to understand, to see here in Genesis 22. So as the father, Father Abraham here traveled 50 miles northeast to Moriah to offer his son Isaac, God the Father made the same uh, mountain, okay, trip up that mountain 2,000 years later to offer his only son jesus so mount moriah was one of the hills of the city of jerusalem um, in abraham's day in that day uh, there was a settlement about halfway up the mountain so this means abraham probably climbed above that settlement to offer isaac on top of the hill at a place that would later be called golgotha uh, Abraham offered his son in the exact spot that God would later offer his only begotten son. So if you want to see the cross of Christ from the disciples' perspective, where do you go? You read the Gospels, right? To visit the cross from the son's perspective, check out Psalm 22. But if you want to see the cross from a fa- the father's perspective, you read Genesis 22. So through Abraham, we can see the father's heart on display here. Look at verse 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac and his sons, uh, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went up together. So Abraham took wood for his sacrifice that laid it on Isaac. And Jesus also carried a piece of wood up the same hill, guys. Okay, The Roman cross. I also want us to catch in verse 3 here. Two men traveled with Abraham uh, to offer Isaac. Makes me think of two thieves uh, that carried crosses and traveled with Jesus up a gruesome journey. Um, And when do you guys think Isaac died in the mind of Abraham? When do you think that happened? Probably when God spoke to him. Okay, this is what you're going to do. Okay, and he knew that he was going to, in faith, go through with it. In his mind as a dad, 
That's when his son was dead. It's probably when he uh, went, but it's intriguing if you think about it. According to verse 4, it took three days, three days to reach Moriah. Uh, Thus, from Abraham's perspective, his son rose from the dead on the third day. The same is true with God's son. And if we remember, too, guys, both Isaac and Jesus had miraculous births. Okay, so Isaac, for you and I, are a fascinating picture, uh, a type of Jesus. And Abraham is a type of God the Father. Check out verse 7. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. You guys can scratch out provide for, that little word for is actually not in the original manuscripts. So it should read, God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. So there was an exact place where God wanted this drama to unfold. And I believe it's in the same spot that would let her support the cross in which Jesus died upon. Um, so he was a worshiper, right? We see him, he built an altar. Everywhere he goes, we see Abraham building altars. And Abraham placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. So I want you guys to understand, at this point, Isaac is a grown man. And we know from a lot of Jewish commentators, they suggest that Isaac was around 30 years of age, early 30s. Jesus was thir- 33 when he died. Um, but think about this old man, okay? Isaac, or Abraham trying to bind Isaac to an altar, you know? I think a 30-year-old man could overtake, a, like, you're not doing this. I ain't going to be a sacrifice. What are you doing? It wouldn't happen. So we talk about the faith of Abraham a lot. Do we ever talk about the faith of Isaac? Think about that, guys. Isaac had great faith here, too. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So try to imagine what's happening here. Abraham, 100-year-old heart pumping like crazy. Motions are overwhelmed. Tears coming down this man's face. Hand trembling with knife in it. Okay, His mind screaming out, no. Okay, and he's caught in these emotions between the desire to obey <laughs> And the desire to love his son. And what gives Abraham the strength to stretch out his hand, lift up that knife to do the impossible? It was his faith. So faith lifted above the obstacles. Faith that God would raise Isaac from the dead. Faith that somehow God would work it out. And guys, it's faith that gives us strength to pass through the tests that we go through. So just as Abraham is about to plunge in the knife into the throat of his son, look what happens. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. So through faith, he had passed with flying colors here. 
And then Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket in the, with his horns. So Abraham went and he took the ram and offered it up on, uh, for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. In the Hebrew, what is that, guys? Jehovah Jireh, right? God, my provider. So now you guys know what Jehovah Jireh is and where we get that from right here. And as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So Isaac was not only, like, he wasn't a sinless sacrifice of God, okay? The man had sin, right? Uh, that ultimately, you know, would be required for the forgiveness of human sin. Um, but thus, he stopped the hand of Abraham, okay? Because God knew 2,000 years later that there would be the spotless lamb of God, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, would be that sacrifice for you and I. He would provide for all mankind. All right, let's wrap this up. Verse 15, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Blessing I will bless you, and multiply I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess uh, the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. In Galatians 3, verse 16, guys, it makes a big deal out of the fact seed is singular. Because, guys, it's, it's not plural. In your seed, not seeds, all nations shall be blessed. So Paul was saying in reference to one man. One man. Jesus. Okay? So salvation came through a special descendant of Abraham's, and that is Jesus Christ. So let's wrap up verse 19. So Abraham returned to the young men. And they rose and they went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Now it came to pass after these things, it was told to Abraham, saying, Indeed, Melchah has borne children to your brother Nahor, Huz, his firstborn, and Buzz, his brother. If any of you guys ever have twins, you know, that are boys, Huz and Buzz, just throwing that out there. Uh, there's Camille, the father of Aram, Chezd, uh, Hezu, uh, Fildash, Dilaf. And Bethuel, and Bethuel begot Rebekah. So these eight Melchah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. His concubine, whose name is Rumah, also bore Teba, Jaham, uh, Thehash, and Meah. So that is Genesis 19, 20, 21, and 22. Some crazy stuff. But you guys know that we're living in a crazy world. <laughs> Us human beings, um, unbelievable things that we choose to do. But you guys know that God is greater than any of our mistakes. You guys know that at the end of the day, he is a merciful God, desiring none to perish. That's who he is. That's what he does. He's in the business of saving. We live in a time of grace right now. Okay, This dispensation will come to an end someday. We believe we're living in the last days. Okay? And judgment will come. We see evil abounding around us, and we're, how long, Lord? <laughs> how long will this go on? 
I'm thankful for his grace. Some of you guys are super thankful because you just got saved. But I'm glad God waited. I'm glad he waited 40 years ago or 30 or whenever I got saved, you know, for me. And that's the thing. He's long-suffering. And in that long-suffering, guys, he wants to use us. So I want us to really, you know, be thinking how we personally can be on mission, okay? How can we go and share with the lost? We as a church corporately, how are we a light? Okay, I have friends, as I mentioned, who are homosexuals. And we've had some very open conversations. And the homosexual community don't know what to do with Christians. Okay, You hate us, is how they look at us. No, we don't hate you. We love you. We love you so much that we have to share this hope with you. So I want to encourage you guys, instead of point fingers, engage. Because we can spew off a whole lot of hate. And the things we might be saying might be true. <laughs> but in the manner in which we do it, is it Christ-like? You know, Because I ask my question, what would Jesus do in this situation? Okay, We can love. It doesn't mean we have to agree. Do you guys understand that? We still can love and not agree. We still can stand in the truth. And that's what we're called to do. And as we do stand in the truth, in love, we're going to share that truth with others. And let me tell you what, there is a hope. Because we have a whole bunch of lies being told. This is the way I'm born. It's the way I am. But that's why Jesus told us you have to be born again. Okay? No one enters the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And it's not just the homosexual guys. We are all sinners. Do you guys not know? And there are long lists of sins and the sins we commit. And we all have done those same sins. Homosexuality is in the list too. But there's a whole lot of other things and we're just as guilty. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And we get to share that. So I encourage you guys, love well, share well. The world needs to hear because they're not hearing. We have the hope. So be hope dealers. Amen. So Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these scriptures. Uh, some of these passages are hard to take in, but it is a reality. It's the world in which we live. It's a world in which you love, so love that you gave your only begotten son. Thank you so much, Father, for how you love us. Thank you so much, Jesus, for what you did on our behalf, becoming sin for us, taking our place. We thank you that the gift of eternal life, new life, God, you will freely give to anyone who is willing to repent and believe upon you. God, we pray and ask, Lord, that many would turn to you, that we would share you well, God, that you would receive the reward of your sufferings. God, we thank you for what you did at Golgotha 2,000 years ago. We're so thankful for the cross. As you've told us, Lord, if we're going to follow you, we also need to pick up our cross. Help us to do that well. We ask for that grace. Ask for your help, Jesus. We ask in your name. Amen. Amen.